Greetings from the north, citizens of Earth. Welcome. Today we're having yet another Corona show, although you're probably fed up by the subject, and I promise we will return to normal programming. But I just had to throw this in, as I was alerted by a high-level scientist that research publications such as the New Delhi study, either directly or indirectly, has now verified that... COVID-19 indeed is an unnatural creation. Despite the information blockade and heavy-handed censorship of critical reporting on this matter, those outlets who do manage are contradictory, as is only to be expected while we're still in a chaotic preliminary phase. I think, therefore, we need to filter out the opinionators from the more fact-based researchers. Enter the chap I'm conversing with today, an investigative journalist who specializes in political, bureaucratic, oligarch and corporate corruption and crimes. The fact that he substantiates and references his reporting combined with a badge of honor that is being victim of smears and life threats, makes him particularly trustworthy in my book. Although trust is immaterial, as we mustn't go by authority, but rather by argued and verifiable facts. His take on the corona crisis is the aforementioned bioweapons approach, and some of what he shares in the show has, after the recording, started to get known in the independent media, like the shocking role of Anthony Fauci. By the way, during our chat, I mentioned another chap whose name I couldn't recall at the time, which is Charles Lieberman. Both of these fellows has milked a profitable relationship with China's biolabs and are central to the US part of this scandalous story. So today we focus on the shady and fishy aspects of the pandemic, since we've already covered the monetary and health aspect of it. And now let me present our guest, George Webb, son of a World War II veteran who invented the wireless telephone, is a former athlete who attended Miami University in Ohio under a basketball scholarship. He was named an academic All-American, an NCAA postgraduate scholar, and to the silver anniversary team of the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame. He attained his Bachelor of Science in Business Administration in 78 and double major of Business, Finance and Economics in 82. He holds various IT courses, such as being a certified network expert. Before turning to investigative journalism, he first worked with 
with IT, marketing and sales. His career began in 84 when he started working for Unisys as a systems engineer. In 88, he moved to Australia to work as account executive for Sun Microsystems, where he incidentally met Julian Assange at a special camp of Albinos. In 95, he became director of e-commerce for InFocus. In 98, he became strategic sales director for Network General. Thereafter, he worked for Webtrends as strategic account director from 99 and as director of sales from 01. In 02, he worked as director of sales for strategic accounts at Keynote Systems. In 08, as account executive for IBM Partner and in 11, as both account executive and core metrics web analytics brand representative for IBM. In 13, he became account executive for Egento as well as national technical account manager for Keynote Systems. He also did voluntary work for the latter in their poverty-battling Habitat for Humanity project, building houses for worthy families in the Bay Area. In 13, Webb began blogging his research on civil liberties and internet freedom to the world, informing the public about an illegal harassment program being conducted by U.S. law enforcement. Agents of the federal government have and continue to train a large network of paid and volunteer informants to disrupt the lives of ordinary law-abiding citizens. The reason for this harassment program is primarily political disruption of anti-war groups, individuals blogging against violations of civil rights and internet freedom initiatives. In 15, he decided that his dangerous research into the various heads of the deep state Hydra would be better suited in video reporting format, thus creating his now very popular YouTube channel, which focuses on government and corporate corruption and criminal conspiracy. He is not some dude rehashing bylines in his grandma's basement, but... A genuine old-school gumshoe reporter, a man on the street doing actual digging, who has an affable salesman's sense and can easily interact with anyone. He goes to barbershops, he knocks on people's doors, and indeed has reported from all over the US following the story, hunting down leads at innumerable locations, notwithstanding trips around the world. As a true idealist, he sold two houses just to finance his research. In late 16, he began real-time reports, inviting the audience to participate in a live citizen journalism revolution by using Trello boards, collecting mounds of megadata and compound searches. The crowdsource folks supply research data used to outline and expose rat lines and those connected within them, like trafficking of humans, drugs, organs or weapons. This movement of online researchers has been recognized by General Mike Flynn and referenced by the fake disinfo agent Q. 
the complicated and deadly forces they expose, is so far ahead of the news cycle that it's far out to most. But once you comprehend the depths of spying, contractor abuse, deep dives, Project Cassandra, Club K container weapons rat lines being run on the public, you'll also appreciate his black humor balancing these serious subjects. Indeed, his childhood background with hardcore intimidation mobsters has developed in him a disarming, intellectually intimidating investigative style. No brave deed goes unpunished, so hit pieces smearing him as CIA or Mossad, etc. comes with the territory. Now, it would take forever to summarize all Webb has uncovered, but some merits among an astonishing number of bombshells are his reported storylines on child trafficking, organ harvesting, and other black market off-book deals following a human trafficking network that sold orphans from the Czech Republic to customers paying huge fees in France. He's devoted dozens of vid reports to the alleged disappearance of former Clinton Foundation CEO Eric Braverman. In one report he went to Chicago and called out Ram Emanuel. On another live reporting he perched outside the offices of Hogan Lovell's Purple Shovel's law firm and delivered a segment on this their role in illegal uranium rat lines. In Ohio he picked up the trail of the Roden murders, an industrial level drug operation and missing nuclear centrifuges. In South Carolina he uncovered nuclear contaminated container ships and links to a massive drugs for weapons rat lines. In both cases the FBI decided to do a parallel construction. This is the process of building a separate evidentiary basis for a criminal investigation in order to conceal how an investigation actually begun. In other words, frame the whistleblower. Additionally, he has direct work experience from his day in Silicon Valley with Dmitry Alperovich, the ringleader of the CrowdStrike Ukrainian spy ring which recruited operatives for Hunter Biden's Burisma spy ring in Ukraine. He even produced a Senate version of the encrypted BlackBerry from an informant at the Joe Biden staff, codenamed Deep BlackBerry. With an interest in what happened to the various weapon systems disappearing from armories in Libya, he uncovered the biggest story you've never heard of, the Avon spy ring in Congress. When George visited a house rented by Marine Andre Taggart and discovered government-issued hard drives that had been pried open and tampered with, as well as government-issued BlackBerry phones, the so-called Burisa Blackberries, used to arrange pay-to-play for covert action around the world for Nancy Pelosi's Gang of Eight. He produced invoices and phone records showing that DCCC staffer and close advisor to the DNC, Imran Awan, purchased and delivered tinkered phones. This major story concerning the Awan brothers broke open a car theft ring in DC associated with them, appropriately named CIA. The discovery of the stashed hard drives and blackberries of the famed DNC servers alone debunks the Russiagate hoax. 
George has researched all the Biden Awan safe houses, as well as occupants and businesses associated with over a dozen Awan properties. Another big break occurred when he retrieved a key fact witness and evidence to the famous DNC hack that has not yet been publicized in mainstream media, who testified that Imran Awan, who was key consultant to disgraced, corrupt and election-cheating Debbie Wasserman Schultz, had nefarious purposes and stored congressional marked damaged DNC hard drives and Blackberries at his home. The Awan spying was outed in Congress when he found their secured Blackberries and hard drives for their covert action servers. For a summary of the whole series, see the YouTube playlist Awan 9-11 The Web Report, What the Mueller Report Left out, where you can follow his investigations as he tracks down the CrowdStrike server, the DNC-encrypted Blackberries used by Biden and friends, as well as Wasserman Schultz, Pelosi, and Adam Schiff's Awan spying in Congress. Another method he deploys is lawsuits, bringing attention to and putting on record establishment crimes. One of his many lawsuits filed was the fraud Hillary Clinton perpetrated on the DNC using Imran Awan to illegally transfer funds to Hillary for America. George Webb, who thinks that Obama was compromised by Clinton's and CIA director John Brennan, was a Bernie supporter in 16. So a lawsuit was filed on the basis of him having donated $30 to the DNC, who conspired to unethically defeat Bernie by court-confirmed and study-proven rigging in the Democratic primary, which, by the way, they also did in the 20 primary. He also sued John Podesta and the Podesta Group, Huma, Aberdeen, Wasserman Schultz, and a host of other corrupt players from the hoax bomber Caesar Psyop Rolodex. In one of his videos, he discusses the document in which he compared his case to Jared and Elizabeth Beck's lawsuit against the DNC, in which two of the key witnesses dropped dead suddenly. I believe this should clue you sufficiently in to George's meticulous mining of the establishment underground. And now, ladies and gents, let's hear his take on our corona reality. Hey, George. Welcome to Forum Borealis. Hey, Al. Uh, great to be invited to your show. I am so happy to, to be able to get you on my show. Unfortunately, the context is not that happy. <laughs> and the times we're in, I bet we're both prisoners right now. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in Maryland. I'm near on the Potomac River here, near the swamp. Oh, yeah, Maryland. That's like uh, almost ground zero for the deep state. Jeez, wow. Right, right. <laughs> I'm right in between three Navy weapons development centers, right in the middle. Right, that's perfect, considering the topic today. <laughs> yeah. um, I have to tell you, as an introduction to this thing, that I'm going to tell you two things. I'm going to start with saying that I didn't know who you were. I stumbled over one of your videos and I was impressed. I was impressed. You and your team seem to be a rare breed in this field. Namely, you seem to have your head screwed on right. 
you haven't succumbed to much of the craziness and fanatism that I see many people have when they go into it. And I don't blame them because you, you can get crazy for less when you discover these things. So right. I really love the way you substantiate and argue for your uh, journalistic uncovering. And I want uh, people who can back up the facts, not just wild claims, unhinged claims. We, my impression with you, apart from your great information, is that you're very particular with substantiating what you're saying. I try. <laughs> unlike, unlike, uh, should we say, a uh, David Ike, who, sure. right, who just keeps a monologue based upon whatever. But you, you have a much more journalistic approach. Oh, yeah, I'm always looking for that. Exactly. <laughs> now, the second I want to say is that a guy that I've interviewed a couple of times. His name is Cliff High. Mm-hmm. He had a, a video very shortly after the COVID-19 thing became like a global hysteria thing. And he revealed there, I, I suppose I should have sent you this before the interview so you could have seen it, but he revealed there. No uh, I, I don't know if I want to call it evidence, but he's been in touch with uh, Chinese herbalists who all now has disappeared. And they were telling him about how this is a spill from... Uh, according to them, one of the Chinese bioweapon labs. And another friend of me told me about, uh, I forgot his name now, but of American who has been cooperating with the Chinese, paid uh, mm-hmm. millions of dollars for a bioweapon corporation. And then I stumble over your work. You have a different approach. You are on to a track where it seems to have come originally from America, which wouldn't surprise me. And I also understand America has the majority of the current bioweapons lab. So that's where I'm coming from in this and why we're discussing now. Comment? Sure. Uh, well, the, the one thing that uh, I am familiar with Cliff High and uh, I think we both agree that it is a bioweapon. And the first uh, conclusion you would make would be it's China. Mm. Um, and, and when you first look at the evidence, you say, hey, it came from the Wuhan lab. Uh, there's only one facility there. And now uh, mainstream news has conf- it confirmed it's from the lab and it didn't happen naturally through the fish market. So, so we're all on that page. Um, and now today there's new news that the uh, Chinese misstated 50% of the deaths and I, uh, in, in the Wuhan area. And I say that's because the deaths were suppressed going all the way back to October, late October, <laughs> November. Sorry, <laughs> we have an animal here. <laughs> uh, late October, November, and December. So the first thing is China. Everybody goes to China. But then if you start looking at these joint ventures that the Fauci's are in and then Fauci's team, this is Dr. Fauci, who you see up with Trump every day behind the lectern at the White House giving the briefings. Right. If, if you d- uh, delve deeper, you'll see that he paid uh, and has paid for a lot of, of joint uh, ventures and joint development between various American universities and uh, the Chinese with that Wuhan lab. Um, and one is particularly uh, important is the uh, bat virus, uh, moving it over to uh, pigs, uh, being a very close relative to the human genome. 
And that has gone on for five years. There's five years of Jeez. contracts. It's at $750,000 a year for a $3.7 million contract. So it's, so you have to f- sort of follow the money once you I, – I totally agree with Cliff High getting uh, to where it broke out. But you have to then go back and say this – there's there's one of two things. It either happened through a uh, an accident where a bat flew 600 miles from Yunnan and flew to uh, Wuhan uh, and then just happened to uh, die because they don't sell bats at the fish market. Mm-hmm. Uh, a pig at the fish market just happened to – or or – a bat just happened to be eaten. The the, the pig was taken to market, and then the guy cut it up, and that's where it started. After somebody from the Wuhan lab, a post two two postdocs came to the Wuhan lab and ate there, and that started it. Well, <laughs> it's just a ridiculous story. It's actually the story that you'll see in Netflix right now with pandemic. There's a a movie they made about it. Gwyneth Paltrow is the hero, right? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Oh, you saw it. Okay, so that's the story. That's the mainstream story, but it's much, much more uh, uh, likely that through five years of actually going out and sending field teams out to the cave and bringing them back to the Wuhan lab and then transfecting and crossfecting these to uh, to create several viruses in in both viruses. Remember, you can transfect from pigs over to you can take an HIV, let's say and have it go over to the bats and can have the bats go over to the pigs. But this is what they say they did. Put a needle in one and then wait for the people, uh, the animals that die that are infected and then syringe it into another. Uh, And then there was a cycle where you can wait to see which pigs die and then grind them up and then feed them as food to yet more piglets to to, uh, increase the virulence of the strain. And in this study that the Chinese have put out in 2017, they went through 25,000 pigs, piglets in this process. Now, to me, it's a far more likely prospect that it's a bioweapon, not necessarily saying that somebody's using it as a bioweapon. It's a lot mm. more likely that five-year project going back and forth with all this transfection and needles and so forth, and then 25,000 piglets, I don't know how many iterations of generations of sick pigs that is, but... That's a lot more likely <laughs> that that's mm. where the the, the uh, virus came from. Well, okay. So people are conditioned uh, to, if they hear like, oh, the Chinese bioweapon China, they don't have a big problem accepting that. As soon as you say it's one of the Western countries, then it's like the indoctrination hypnosis sets in and they go into full cognitive dissonance and they won't entertain it. Then it's conspiracy theory or something. And I suppose what we should do today is to educate people about the... Because the general knowledge about this, far too low. So if we could like give a kind of a survey of the bioweapon history, okay. so people know this isn't outlandish, out of nowhere. This has a long predescence. And uh, I don't know how far back it goes, but I do know it goes back to the Nazis at least. Yeah. So could you, could you, could we start there and work our way upwards? Sure. Uh, so biowarfare is as old as warfare and as old as history. 
Um, you may remember that uh, Caesar, if you're upriver from your opponent, one of the common things was to befoul the river so that the drinking water would be full of the waste of your soldiers right. uh, to infect the others, right? Probably the most famous use of a actual contagion that they knew about was in the Siege of Malta in the, uh, I think it was 1500s period of time, right around that period of time, where they actually uh, waited for certain animals to die of diseases and then catapult them into the castle. You may see that in Monty Python every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I just heard the other day that the Tartars, or whatever they called, in Asia, that... Uh, the Black Plague became spread because they were bombarding with catapults dead animals yes. against the Chinese, I think. I don't know if that's uh, like verified, but at least that's something that goes far back <laughs> to the 1300s. Yeah, yeah so that's a, that's a form, and that's actually, I believe, how the first plague spread. I don't think it's how the 1666 plague spread, but mm. again, um, the... Um, uh, the history of these things, uh, you know, is, is murky that far back. Mm. But moving up till now, um, the bioweapons probably developed um, in the Civil War was first in as far as America goes, was probably the first area where we start getting uh, nationalized medicine with the Red Cross mm. and using uh, using, uh, you know, in the Revolutionary War, these different medicines were used. But the whole idea of using that kind of warfare was explored, but but not developed out. Um, you know, heroin comes along in Germany at the end of the turn of the century, uh, and then people are starting to think about uh, in at Bayer, especially the company, starts thinking about using poison gas. They they were in existence already then. Yeah, and the wow. first use of poison gas uh, was also they had a lab. Uh, for for bioweapons again looking into it they were they were transfecting animals they were uh, virology as it exists robert uh, cock is his name or uh, coke is i'm sorry coke uh, but he and from berlin there's a coke institute but the uh, uh, you know he he discovers modern virology right you you take something with the syringe like i said before from one that's live and then you mm. kill it and then you put it in something else and see if it has an effect and that's how you know it's called the coke's coke's postulate right so that's really where biology starts taking off with robert coke and um poison gas is obviously used by bayer and the germans uh first uh in uh, in uh, flanders i believe the battles of flanders with the british and then you really get into the bioweapons program, like you said, with the Nazis. So that's uh, a guy named Blom, uh, Kurt Bloma, uh, B-L-O-M-E, uh, was the, the key guy that Albert Speer and Himmler put in charge of the Poznan uh, Bioweapons Center. And they, they start with usually seven or eight bacteria and seven or eight viruses. And, of course, everyone knows Joseph Mengele. There yeah. was a university... University down in Leipzig, where they did this development, not far from where uh, Kurt Monigat's uh, Slaughterhouse Five in Dresden, hmm. um, and so so that's that's the history that people don't know because everybody concentrates so much on the you know the race to get the bomb and the, where the Germans going to get the nuclear bomb before we got the bomb. So right. the Manhattan Project everybody knows, but there was an equally where our story starts here 
was there was an uh, um, there was a Manhattan Project for bioweapons in, in World War Two, and that's the kind of the unknown history. So much. Uh crap comes out of World War II. Uh, I mean, the national security states began really seriously after World War II. So it's like we're still living under the bad calm of that period. Yeah. And we all know, of course, about mustard gas and whatnot. So uh, when it came to chemicals, they were not afraid to be complete uh, sociopaths about it. I'm not just saying the Germans, I mean, all all warring sides, but you're right, it's very little known that the viral weapon started then. Now, isn't it ties between the Nazis and America? Sure. Because after Germany lost the war, then most of the Nazis fled. So I'm assuming they didn't just bring uh, conventional weapons technology with them. No, not at all. Uh, the Kurt Bloma that I to- told you about that ran the um, the weapons program in Germany was invited over here by our U.S. Army uh, and our CIA to continue developing those weapons in the, in the Operation Paperclip. So this is... Um, uh, and also in a in a place near Frankfurt, um, there was a Walter Schreiber, uh, who was one of the guys who developed two of the most potent uh, bioweapons or chemical weapons, tabin and and sarin gas. Uh, he was mm. he was uh, they couldn't get him into the country, but he had a, a center there. So uh, most Americans think, oh well, we got the Werner von Braun V two rocket guys. <laughs> No, we got a whole bunch of guys from aviation. We got a whole bunch of guys from chemical weapons. We got a whole bunch of guys from biological weapons. We brought a ton of people in, uh, and then of course the nuclear folks. Yeah. So, so, and and our center here in Maryland is Fort Detrick, and that's going to pick up in our story because it's going to be the same Fort Detrick that uh, is going to be the ones that connects the dots to Wuhan uh, when we go there. Detrick. That sounds very German. What, do you know the origin of the name of that base? Yeah, um, I don't know the name of it. Um, I, I don't know why that is, uh, but I'll but I'll look it up as we're talking. Um, it's <laughs> it's in Frederick, Maryland, and I know Frederick is named after Frederick the Great, uh, who. Ah, it's probably a German colony. Yeah, uh, it's right next to Germantown, um, and it is. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's where the Germantown is where the Nuclear Regulatory Commission is, and that's because we had so many nuclear scientists from the Paperclip program. It was Germantown yeah. before then, but they a lot of them did settle there. Uh, and there's makes a, sense, doesn't it, to to bury them among already American Germans? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's what happened in Argentina. They put them in uh, Bariloche and those places where they were already Germanified. It makes otherwise they would stand out. Yeah, it makes so much sense. You know, have the places that have beer gardens, they're not going to look out of place. So that's <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But uh, you mentioned uh, uh, Operation Paperclip. I read, I forgot the number now, but it's several thousand. Maybe over 3,000 people, maybe more, I forgot, but several thousand. Uh, officially, I think it was like 300 or something, but that number is, uh, they don't even count relatives. And yes. So there was like a huge rat line straight into America. And uh, one of the guys, his name's James Angleton, who ran a project called Ivory Keys. Uh, and then there was other uh projects to get people out of the southern route and the northern route is up your way in uh, norway 
Uh, mm. the, the Nazis obviously had a lot of their uh, submarine bullpens, uh, so that's the key escape way. Uh, um, they didn't have to go through the Mediterranean and get by the British in Gibraltar, but they could use the Norwegian sub-bases to get, um, to get out. Um, if you remember at the end of the war, um, they call the, the guy who was temporarily the head of the German Navy calls all the subs back to Norway That's right. because they all go up to Norway <laughs> to get out. Yeah, and, and, and the colony they had here was one of the last to fall. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the occupation, um, uh, so, so they, yeah, they, they latched on here to the last second. And according to one guest we've had on, um, he thinks this would also be the escape route of uh, Adolf himself. Okay. And probably also Martin Bormann. But there are other substantiated potential routes like Spain. And of course, you have the main Catholic route through Italy. So it's really hard to tell. But um, yeah, it's it's possible. I, I think so, all of them uh, were, at, were used. I think there's lots of evidence for all the ones you've mentioned, as well as yeah. through uh, Northern Africa, Malta. Um, mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, at what level was the was the viral weapons? I mean, during the Cold War, sure they took off in development, but at the end of the war, how far had they come? Would you say that bioweapons at that point could be like battle decisive? Uh, no, I would say not, because uh, the the problem with bioweapons, I think, is just like chemical weapons. The first time you use them, you have the advantage of surprise. But after you use them the first time, the other side gets gas masks and so forth. And then it just becomes um, just a new level set for the war. And <clears throat> the other side renders it ineffective. And what's interesting about this bioweapon with coronavirus is... What you want is a, a virus that debilitates your foe. You don't want a, a necessarily a virus that kills because if mm. you kill, then you immediately have a Manhattan Project to develop a vaccine. But the, the best kind of, of a virus would be one that weakens your opponent so that you have to go to the, to the hospital and then there's five or six people taking care of that person, and it's just a drain on resources. Um, and so that's why this coronavirus, I believe, is a bioweapon, and it was designed to not only attack your red blood cells, so your anemia type of thing, but also your mm-hmm. white blood cells so that you're more uh, susceptible to a, uh, you know, like a immune-type, AIDS-type deficiency where you, where you die from anything, even a cold. So... Mm-hmm. So that's what I believe, and I can prove that through what's in the genome uh, and where those genes come from, uh, and we can get to that uh, when yeah. when it's appropriate. I actually have uh, some interesting information to share about that. Oh. But staying a little on the Cold War side here, uh, I mean, we heard about bioweapons during the Cold War. Uh, obviously, both the Soviets and America was developing it. What was the rationale? Was it more like in the spy game? Because we all remember not long ago in Britain, there was a mm. spy who was... There was actually two different people who was poisoned. 
obviously they try to whip up the Russia hysteria, the the new McCarthyism, and blame it on Putin. Not that simple if you look into those cases, but nonetheless, it shows that it's been a big feature in the spy world, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> so was was that uh, ration? Why would I bother uh, looking into these things uh, during the Cold War? Well, it's it's interesting. Um, well, you mean post Cold War or or yeah, like from from the Second World War and up to the fall of the Soviet. Why, if it's not that effective in the battlefields themselves, what's the rationale for tinkering with Mother Nature like this? Well, in most wars, disease does kill more than the uh, weapons. So you, because of the stealthy nature, though, you don't know how many actually. Uh, did die uh, because of the bioweapons. So it's hard to judge. Uh, a lot of folks say Good that point. when the United States was in the Spanish-American War, the mosquito was used as a bioweapon. Um, and way more <laughs> Spanish died from the mosquitoes than Teddy Roosevelt charging up San Juan Hill. Uh, most of the hmm. guys were in a, in a sick from already having uh, been hit with that. But uh, I do think it is effective, especially if you can't uh, you can't trace it. You know, you don't know who is infecting the mosquitoes or whatever um, that's vectoring this bioweapon. But I do know the Russians did have a huge program, uh, just like the Germans did. And that was one of the rationales for keeping um, Fort Detrick around after, mm. you know, after the, the Cold War is kind of cooling or, or, or the thaw, the glasnost. They were saying, well, then we still need to keep this. This is still a threat. Now terrorists could be getting this. The Soviet Union could fall apart. Now these nations could be, these terrorists could be getting it. So we need to keep uh, this going. But wasn't there like UN resolutions against, I mean, is it according to international law legal? Not that they ever care, but just for the formal side of it, is it legal to have bioweapons or do they have to hide the labs under bullshit excuses? No, there is a bioweapons convention and uh, it's in Geneva uh, and I think they meet every year. Uh, and the bioweapons, they've tried, uh, there is a, a general Geneva convention uh, against the use, uh, the first use of bioweapons. Uh, so that is true. Um, but the uh, during the Bush years, at least I know that they, they had verification. So here's what we're doing. Here's what we're trying to defend against. You can come in, see our procedures, see we have a biosafety lab for, let's say, for Wuhan or a biosafety lab level four for Fort Detrick. But then Obama changed that. Um, and I voted for Obama twice, so I'm not, you know, and I, I defended a lot of things he does. But one of the things he did was he took off the controls at the BWC convention in 2009 for, in, for verification. For inspections, and, mm. and that's a little bit like saying we're not going to inspect Iran anymore on their nuclear program. You know that it's going to be a problem, uh, and that seems to be when the program here in the United States really gets off the rails. Is 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 with that uh, when when obviously they, yeah mm -hmm. yeah as soon as they lose any oversight, it just it's like a free for all. All the crazies can have at it. But I, I would suspect that uh, the deepest levels of the deep state would also have 
facilities for these kind this kind of research that's off the radar. What do you think about that? Well, the um, uh, U.S. has uh, one here in in Galveston, Texas. There's about ten or twelve in the United States that are the like you're saying the the deepest level security. There's one in Russia, I believe, one in China. So, so it's sort of like aircraft carriers, you know, if you know what mm. I mean. That America has eleven, Russia has two, mm. China has two, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, that's about the relative balance of power. Um, but what people don't realize is the people like Fauci and and different people that uh, Fauci puts into these positions, they communicate quite a bit and collaborate quite a bit with the Russians. On remember, if you come up with a vaccine. The whole idea in in biowarfare is you vaccinate your own troops first yeah. before they go into battle, and then you spray the battlefield and kill all the enemy. That's the you know perfect bioweapon, right? Mm. Um, this uh, is, uh, but but if, if in peacetime if you come out with a virus, then you also can profit mm. by coming out with a vaccine, and that's where we start going to where we are now, where you take the biodevelopment that the public is spending money on for the warfare purposes. And then you move that over. Now, are you doing controlled releases of the virus so that you can do uh, cash in on the vaccines? That's the question here. But the, the money is huge. It's in the yeah. billions. And, and if you take down an economy, it's in the trillions. Yeah. So uh, that's the part here where we don't know what's all behind what's happening now in the United States. Especially if the virus is so contagious as this one, uh, you know, no precedence for this kind of infection. Uh, I heard from a guest I had, he, he a doctor who told me that uh, in the, was it in the 70s, 80s, the Soviets had, um, there was one of these vir viruses in one of these bioweapons, well, their antidote, because they always need an antidote, <laughs> otherwise it's pointless to use it mm -hmm. if you bite your own ass. The antidote they used for that thing was nano silver, and I'm not talking about, but there's a confusion here, because there's a lot of research into nanosilver as antiviral. Problem is, what's sold on the market as colloidal silver is usually either junk silver or it's too big. Mm -hmm. In order for this to be effective, it has to be less than one nanometer and it has to be so-called food health grade level pure silver. And if you have that, if you have something that's less than one nanometer, then it will just obliterate the microbes, be it bacteria, fungus, viruses. So they actually use nanosilver as their antidote so a generic antidote okay and the thing is i think because there's a lot of research showing how effective this is and silver has been used since time immemorial before we had antibiotics they actually used colloidal silver but i think the reason big pharma haven't manufactured and embraced this despite all the solid mainstream peer-reviewed authoritative studies proving its effectiveness against viruses is precisely because it would undermine the entire business they have 
uh, like let's say for example HIV and lots of other stuff flu vaccines all that stuff if you had like this universal remedy that was so effective <laughs> you're out of business right <laughs> yeah it's going to be one of your best kept secrets right <laughs> exactly no one could talk about the universal vaccine yeah uh, i think you're i think you're uh, you're onto something here uh, there's definitely a whole bunch of research in nanoparticles uh, for uh, vaccines, and if you if you basically put different types of metals, the research I've seen is using different atoms of different metals and nanoparticles, and then attaching that onto something that you, the antigen that you know is going to have an affinity for the virus. Uh, it's been effective. Yeah. Now I'm gonna get nano silver. Uh, I'm gonna get the real stuff, not all colloidal. What, what do they say? It's not gold, everything that glimmers. So the same is right. true for silver. But you had said studies where they explored other minerals too. And it's true, but I just want to clarify that real, pure, mm -hmm. health food grade nanosilver, a nanometer and less, kills, is the most effective according to many peer-reviewed official studies. But then... Because big pharma can't make, first of it threatens their other products. Second of all, they can't mass produce it as a profitable uh, uh, drug like they do with the rest. So that's why they are looking into combining okay. stuff. Because you can, it's true, you can find it with copper, you can find it with gold and other minerals. But they want to do a version that they can uh, copyright and and mass produce and like the doctor had on said well that's fine as long as it works he doesn't mind that it can you know finance research into it and stuff so so there's true there's also studies showing that okay great so we laid the foundation and mm. it's not conspiracy theory to explore the theory you know what i mean yeah. and, and and leave a question mark at the end of the sentence so and even one of the getting into the story now um there's this guy, this Iranian guy, who somehow manages to get to the top of running all the uh, weapons program, the bioweapons program at Fort Detrick named Bavari. Um, and he starts writing, uh, he's doing Ebola, he's doing, uh, uh, you know, the coronavirus, he's, he's talking about bat viruses. He's in 2018, in 2019, he writes out, a paper that says the next big thing that's going to happen is going to be a bat virus, coronavirus that has these, you know, mutations in it. Then he leaves. There's a, there's a huge, um, security breach at Fort Detrick. Um, and he leaves the company at the same time. And he also shuts down what's known as the bio courier program, the federal agent courier program on how they're taking these different samples of blood plasma between the different centers. So there's all these Chinese students going between the, um, you know, these different labs as couriers, and he shuts that program down. And then he turns around and he starts four different startups uh, in, in uh, Nebraska, mm -hmm. uh, which is right in the middle of, of the country uh, at this agricultural college. And, and it's got this joint venture with Wuhan. So it's a way of offshoring if let's say you were going to test this against, and you don't have necessarily soldiers, but let's say you're going to test against prisoners, you wouldn't do it in the United States because you would be like, hey, what are you doing? You're testing prisoners. Right. Uh, but but 
but governments like China would have no problem doing that. Governments like Iran would have no problem doing your actual testing. Mm. Um, and, and this is a way of fast-track testing. Uh, FDA testing our authority here for drug approval is very slow. It takes 10 years. Uh, this is a way of fast-track uh, testing and so that you're the guy ready with the virus or with the vaccine when the virus comes out. Mm. Okay, we, we're going to go into COVID-19 now. But uh, before we do, I want to say two things. I want to say first that it's pretty exceptional that both Chinese and Russian officials have come on the record saying openly, yes, this is a bioweapon. And of course, it's dismissed because, again, the brainwashed people in uh, the Western countries have no problem demonizing Chinese and Russia. But as soon as American officials say something, then, uh, oh, that's a different matter. That's what we uh, need to listen to. And completely bypassing the fact that if you look at who has done international destructive shit the last uh, 30 years, it's usually... (laughs) It's always the US. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, exactly, right? But no, 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 we have to trust them. Uh, They could never do this thing. They could do anything else, be the only one who nukes, for example, but... Oh, no. But Chinese Russia, yeah. China and Russia hasn't done shit to the world since the fall of the Soviet. Now, I want to say a second thing, and I'd like to comment on this, too. Okay. I got a mail from an expert whom I wanted to have on about this topic. And this is uh, from the guy off the record. He's a high-level researcher into these things, so I can't go into details. This is supposed to be off the record, but what it tells me is so important, I I feel I have to read it uh, by anonymizing him. So it's worthless as an evidence for anything. But it's an interesting anecdote. He says, we now know it's a bioweapon. Imagine HIV and its long-term ability to induce AIDS over time, but limited in contagion because it's... It is only sexually transmitted, instead going airborne contagious, made possible by bioweapon specializing scientists, then adding in 60 gigahertz aggravation, aggravation, agitation energy mm-hmm. to, uh, in parentheses. The oligarchs are using this quote-unquote slow time to erect massive numbers in 5G towers while counterpart 5G satellites are being launched in record numbers via among else Tesla, parenthesis over, to a RBC-liberated iron-oxidizing radical, parenthesis, identical to what HIV is able to do when it feeds on RBCs and breaks them apart from its bound iron to replicate itself hundredfold faster, parenthesis over. And you have the human race facing enhanced mass immunodeficiency disease that spreads at light speed. Explained shortness of breath and sudden death in otherwise healthy and fit 18 to 45 year olds. Yes. How, you may ask, Al, a la HIV's surface spike protein spliced onto COVID-19 outer surface by the P4 lab. That's how HIV does what it does to RBCs, plus a chain of associated enzymes it possesses and now so does COVID-19. Right. They were careless, so COVID-19 
escape their lab. And these scientists are more evil than Hitler could ever imagine. They actually think they have the antidote to keep their elite hierarchy. So you think they care? Now everyone will need long-term medications like AIDS patients and Big Pharma becomes a perfect global try. And this must be a, a typo. Tri- triumph? Tryon, he says. Oligarchy with more ROI than good almighty. And if someone promotes silver, he means nano-silver, as antidote, guess who comes in the middle of the night through one of their windows? So (laughs) this is his take. But apart from he thinking it comes from the Wuhan lab, uh, what do you think about it, especially the 5G aspect? Because you, you, you notice that people are going hysterical for 5G because in January they launched the first 5G satellites. So that's mighty. It's not necessarily a causation, but it correlates perfectly with the explosion of, of this virus. So, so what do you think about this? Well, uh, I was in, uh, I believe you're talking about the one's launch, launch for China. Uh, I was in Cape Canaveral for the launch. Wow. <laughs> uh, I believe that was the uh, Elvin, Elon Musk's launch, if, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, a lot of you're right. There is a, a another space race going on here right now for for the five G. Um, I, I will just take a step back though for a second and mm-hmm. talk about the piece that you just read. Um, there is absolutely no doubt that the uh, there's four different variable sections in this genome. Remember, coronaviruses have been around since the '60s, the common cold virus, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the previous six strains have never had HIV genes in or proteins that are formed from those genes in the coronavirus ever. Okay, in the in the sixty or so years, fifty eight years or so, never had HIV. Now all of a sudden, with this virus, you have four sections which code for a protein called glycoprotein one twenty, glycoprotein forty one, uh, GAC protein. So. These are directly from the HIV-1 genome, no doubt about it, right? Okay, so they're there. Now, the good news is, (laughs) if there's good news, (laughs) uh, uh, it's mainly the envelope protein, which helps when you get exposed to something, uh, maybe 10% or or 20% of the people uh, are exposed because not enough of the virus sticks to your target cells. Right. Mm. What what the HIV glycoprotein 120 does and the 41 is it increases the stickiness, the the, the affinity uh, in the binding. Uh, so it makes it a much more um, uh, uh, effective virus. Oh, so that's why this is so contagious. Right. Right. The spike protein. You're talking about the spike protein there. There's some other things, though. Uh, you know, Cliff High says this. That don't expect, uh, like my son is a doctor, right? So mm. he, 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 you know, they, they are trained to think along lines. He, he give me the symptoms, then let me do a few tests, and then let me go down uh, previous histories that fit into this, and so I can come up with a therapy, right? Mm. Well, this is, like Cliff says, uh, that's not how bioweapons are designed. Their bioweapons are designed as cocktails because you don't want a doctor to be able to, to basically diagnose. You want three or four weapons. You want an HIV, a coronavirus, an Ebola, and something else, if you could, if you could right. uh, that, that would just be uh, totally overwhelmed the, 
defense system. So, 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 so that's the first thing. Now there is currently a, a rating for phones uh, called SARS, uh, not SARS virus, but it's it's the ra- the radioactive. <laughs> yeah, see, wouldn't that be great? Yeah. <laughs> it's like oh no more. Yeah, I'm a very aware of the SAR value because I always get phones with the lowest SAR value on the market. Yeah, yeah. So you know about there is a biological measurement now for 4G phones. Now, I think the problem when you do get up into the 60 gigahertz chip is the energies get higher as the wavelengths get shorter. And there I, is... Hang on. They, they say that uh, when you come to that level, you are bordering onto uh, the laser weapon levels that they've had. Well, I think your microwave oven, I think, is around 5 gigahertz. But it's, it's very intense. Mm. So intensity means different. Uh, but... But you don't put your ear up to your microwave oven all day, uh, like you, or your your router probably is a five G router. Mm. So power matters too. How much power is going into it? But 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 the fact it is right next to your uh, these lithium batteries have more current. It is right next to your uh, head and so forth. It is the SAR values are going to be very interesting for these new sixty gigahertz chips, and the, and the new thing that happens when you go from 5G and you go all the way up to 60 is this uh, thing called micronucleation. Micronucleation is when the nucleus of a uh, cell starts to, to, to break off. It's sort of like paint chipping off the uh, car. Mm. Uh, but anytime that happens, it's just like, you know, that's how things can get in. Like rust gets into your car when the paint chips off. Um, and this is what a lot of people theorize killed bees yeah. was was micronucleation. Uh, and there may be the canary in the mine shaft for us to say, hey, how are these bees doing, you know, with this new 5G towers and so forth? Yeah, but, but, but how many canaries do we need? Because this has happened to sea creatures. They are uh, running blind and, and uh, uh, stranding. Uh, we have uh, all sorts of, you know, bats has fallen down, mm-hmm. birds has fallen down. An interesting thing, especially with birds, is that they are following to us invisible energy patterns, vibrations right. that are on a higher spectre than the range of our visible light, but which would be interfered with by all technology that fills these frequencies. So I am in no doubt whatsoever that the reason the air and sea creatures are now completely confused, mm-hmm. at least in part, is due to us polluting the wave frequencies that they are using to navigate after. You could also, of course, argue that it has to do with the Earth shifting, the magnetic uh, setup of the Earth and stuff like that. But um, I don't think it helps that we are just... Sure. Uh, because we don't, we don't research these things in advance. It's not like a caution principle. It's like, let's do whatever we can and then deal with a spill afterwards right. that's that's a philosophy right. well the the micronucleation with the bees should be fairly easy to prove i mean uh, and i'm not i haven't st- stayed up on it or haven't really researched it but you should be able to prepare a slide and look and see and if there actually is micronucleation and uh and this is causing uh, like you said fragile um you know let's say fragile red blood cells i didn't realize uh 
they don't have red blood. I believe they only have myoglobin or, or something even before myoglobin. Mm. But in hemoglobin, if there is this effect, now I've looked at uh, a lot of the physiology of this bioweapon, and there seems to be something that disturbs the iron, like, like your guest said, uh, with uh, two different uh, molecules, one called furin, F-U-R-I-N, and then ferritin, F-E-R-R-I-T-I-N. Ferritin is sort of like a storage battery for uh, red blood cells so that you can quickly release it if you need it over a long hike or something. Uh, and then this furin is a little bit, it, it helps the spike protein, again, being more effective. Um, so both of those um, are, are interesting because if you, let's say, disable um, you know, furin uh, from making bad uh, hemoglobin, uh, your bad blood cells will go around in your body uh, a lot longer before your body comes and cleans them up. And, and so this is important. These proteins, when they slightly misfunction or they've been uh, you know, tampered with or modulated, can cause some real serious long-term, like you said, long-term wasting type uh, diseases. Mm. Okay. Uh, by the way, is it true that your father is the inventor of the mobile phone? <laughs> cordless phone. Cordless phone. Yeah, okay. it, and, and you can argue a lot of things about uh, what's the difference between a cordless phone and a and a mobile phone. But if you look at the mobile phone that was invented by Martin Cooper, uh, you basically took my dad's phone and put four batteries in it and made it heavy. And then they, <laughs> Martin Cooper lived in Chicago, so he had the benefit of putting t uh, antennas uh, on the World Trade Center and the John Hancock building. Not the World mm -hmm. Trade Center, the John Hancock building and the now Sears Tower. Mm. So if you increase the antenna size and you increase the battery power, you, um, you, you go from a cordless phone to a mobile phone. Uh, but ours only could go a couple of blocks <laughs> when I was a little kid. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. Like a walkie-talkie, or, or what's the principle? It's sort of a, 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 a it's sort of two walkie-talkies. The idea of you and I talking right now is full du duplex. You can hear me, and I can hear you, and so we don't have to say over uh, mm -hmm. and just use one. Man, we, we can use basically talk back and forth in what they call full duplex. And that right. was the idea of connecting that to the phone. And uh, because you didn't want to have to teach people how to teach, uh, talk on walkie-talkie. So that was the original idea. He thought of it as uh, he was a big manufacturing guy. So he thought, hey, wouldn't it be great if a workman or a repairman or something could be on the phone back at the shop while he's looking at the problem on the, on the factory line? Mm. But – uh, there was other people who said, "Hey, wait a minute! This will be good for moms out by the pool." <laughs> so, 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 but he he was always thinking about manufacturing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It always begins, you know, a nerd thinking in very practical terms, and then the entrepreneurs comes in and see the like huge potential yeah. for something. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, we'll not blame him, and I don't believe in the heritage of sin, so we're not going to blame neither you nor him for the damage that mobiles make. But I have to say, as a last part of this health aspect uh, detour we're having, that, uh, you know, the fire, uh, the, the uh, AMS meters, so-called smart meters, mm -hmm. these new ways to measure electricity. So... The problem there, and I'm assuming this goes for all these technologies, isn't as much the heating effect, because that's what the utterly corrupt and incompetent and 
uh, industry-owned institutions that are supposed to protect us with the limit values, they are just looking at the heating aspect of it. Right. But there is another aspect that is just as much documented in uh, studies, but are completely overseen, and that's the pulsation aspect. And this pulsation is are interfering with human cell activity. And and that's like, I, I'm not saying the heating thing isn't a problem in itself. Well, obviously it is, but it's something we all remember in the beginning with the mobile phones we got uh, warm air and you can still get it but I, I guess most people are too smart today to put it into the air all the time at least i hope so you have hands-free you have speaker but there, it's the pulsating effect too mm. and um, uh, unless they are looking at it holistically they can't uncover all the damage it can do and and uh, i had a guest on he was arguing that well he wasn't arguing because he wasn't sure but he was open to the fact that the wave frequencies somehow interact with the virus and amplify the damage that is it makes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a science to that, but it is interesting that these things correlate, I think. Well, uh, for instance, like a pulse laser is, is much more effective. Like, let's say you wanted to dig a tunnel with a, a large laser. Uh, a pulse laser would be the way uh, to do it because you have to, because the beam and so forth, um, and they, you can drive pulse lasers with, with nuclear reactors. So this is kind of like a Nazi dream, right? Wow. <laughs> to dig a tunnel with a laser, right? Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm getting out of my, my area where I've studied yeah, a lot. Yeah. So I, I, I need to stop there. <laughs> okay. That's fine. But I want to address it just because, uh, sure. now there's so much superstition. They are burning 5G towers. And by the way, I support the civil disobedience like that as long as nobody gets hurt and private property is not hurt. But they're doing it for bullshit reasons because many of them think uh, the, the towers are somehow beaming these virus into people. I don't think it's that simple. Although I want to say, uh, the guest I mentioned, he told a very interesting experiment by Montier, Dr. Montier, however you pronounce his name, the guy who discovered H- uh, HIV. Mm-hmm. He did a r- recent experiment, which is available on YouTube for everyone to see. Super interesting. That also points to a connection between waves and virus. And that's that they took uh, the signature of a virus and transmitted it a long distance to Italy and beamed it into water. Okay. And when they measured the water, it gave the reading of the virus. Mm. Now, isn't that interesting? Just a specific frequency. Yeah, I'd like to see that paper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's out there. And um, it, it doesn't mean necessarily that they found a live virus, but it at least... I don't know. I haven't uh, looked into it myself, but at least it uncovers there's a connection between frequencies. Uh, I mean, everything, every atom vibrates. Everything in existence is frequency in one form or another. Yeah, sure. So if you look at um, different specific frequencies, uh, you can probably reconstruct something if you have a substance that's able to uh, be molded into that frequency. It has to have a similar manifestation. But anyway, like you say, we are off topic here. Let's move back then. Well, yeah, you want to comment? Well, I, I just have a, a yeah. just a quick yeah. comment on that. I, um, there is a 2008 study 
um, that I, I did want to say. The title of it is it's uh, Increased Frequency of Micronucleated Exfoliated Cells Among Humans Exposed in Vivo to Mobile Phone Radiations. So there is a study that I'm quoting uh, mm. that talks about this micronucleation. And I do agree with you that if um, obviously everything has a resonance, you know, we've all had the washing machine you know, go crazy because it's it's resonating at a frequency that makes it make all this noise or yeah. we've driven an engine where there's a certain speed where it, it just starts shaking uncontrollably. That's that's the idea. If you if you if you modulate something with a pulse or something at that frequency, it will shake part. And mm-hmm. if you're trying to get a virus in or you're trying to shake a virus loose, um, and, and and the structure that's in hemoglobin that's in that's the important structure that you want to shake loose. Let's say you want it to not be able to to work, is called a porphyrin ring. The porphyrin ring is sort of like a, think of it like a uh, a beach chair at a pool, hmm. um, and it has two settings. One, it's all the way open, kind of like when you're just sunning yourself. And the other one's when you're reading a book, which is you know halfway closed. It even looks kind of like a beach chair. Mm. Um, so it's called, they, they call it a cis confirmation or a trans. I don't know why it's cis and I don't know why it's trans, but if you, the way your heme and porphyrin ring works is it has to, if you think about it, it has to be able to grab onto an oxygen molecule in the lungs or O2, and then it has to take it and hold onto it till it gets to your leg. Let's say if you're walking. Mm. And then it has to be smart enough to let go, <laughs> you know, otherwise mm. it can't deliver the oxygen. So if you messed with that porphyrin ring, and I have seen studies about COVID-19 saying it does attack the, uh, that it does attack hemoglobin. Yeah, I've heard that too. Yeah, so so we need to know a lot more about that because um, if if I'm modulating with a phone or whatever, and I, uh, the viruses also are attached in the genome with cis and trans molecules that, with confirmations. So you know how when you get stressed, mm. uh, people get stressed, they have uh, an autoimmune disease of uh, like whatever, if, uh, shingles, yeah. and then it'll, it'll act up. That's the stress and the stress messengers, the cytokines in your bloodstream, releasing and, and creating, making a dormant virus uh, active. And that's mm. that is kind of serious. Yeah. So we could be being poisoned now, is what I'm saying, and not yeah. know it. It's dormant, and then later on, it's activated. Exactly. This is um, what my guest said. Uh, he didn't think it was deliberate. He called it a perfect storm of ignorance because Wuhan is the first fully developed 5G town, and mm. they launched these satellites in January, and they start the shit, and then like a combination of to accidents, so to speak. One, they do something in the lab with the virus, and two, they activate the the 5G thing. But I've also heard the thing about that uh, it... Um, first, they spread it in the state... Because the state it is in now is not very deadly. And uh, like I said in my post-rant to the last show, I think I said that... Mm-hmm. Isn't it funny that the numbers we have so far, because you have to look at the numbers, that's what, all we have to go by. And so far, we don't have enough data. Obviously, it hasn't been around for a long enough time. But if you look at the data we do have, we see that it's not stronger 
is not worse in lethality than the strongest flu. And yet, all the world's government agree, or except Sweden and a few other odd-offs, they agree to shut down, complete lockdown, uh, despite the price of, of the economy. Of, of their countries. Yeah. And uh, here's where the conspiracy theories in me awakens, because then I'm thinking, hmm, maybe they know something we don't, like that it, they know for sure, they've been briefed, whatever, that this is a bioweapon, and of course they can't go out and say that in, in the newspapers. There would be lots of panic. It would be un- irresponsible. So I'm thinking it's a good chance, and then you, you must ask yourself, okay, what is then this bioweapon rigged to do? This is just phase one. Can it accelerate or can someone do something like you say or sending out waves and then it it becomes worse? That's like the nightmare scenario. Well, uh, and you can use this if you're in warfare, you can use this uh, uh, fear to your advantage to amplify the effect of your weapon. Uh, it can be 90% psychological. You can have a fairly safe virus that goes out and infects people and people uh, do get infected and they do see that they test positive. So you create the mass panic, but then you can also have a lethal strain where you can target, you know, you can, you can pick and choose who your targets are. And in, and in fact, there are two different strains of this virus. There's seven or eight uh, in all, but the two that we know about, or the two that I've seen, there's a lethal strain and there is a safe strain. And the way you can do that easily with this new technology, with this CRISPR technology, this gene editing technology is kind of like very simple gene editing, mm-hmm. is I can take the thing in in the safe strain, uh, the gene that codes for the thing that's a bad thing. Let's just say it codes for uh, a bad furin molecule. And furin is like a pair of scissors that you need the last little trim, you know, that you need to do on, on something and you need the piece of scissors and I'm going to make bad scissors so that your hemoglobin somehow doesn't operate as efficiently. Well, if I wanted to weaponize it, I just take that gene and just copy it 10 times. Right. Mm. So it's making 10 times more of the, of the harmful protein. So I can take the same same relatively common cold virus and weaponize it just by just by putting the thing that's harmful and multiplying it. The other thing I can do is CRISPR genes out of the HIV virus or the Ebola virus or something and then CRISPR it in to a relatively large virus like coronavirus. So there's two different ways, simple amplification or combination uh, to make uh, to make the lethal strain and and that's why uh, the paper I read uh, it has uh, that the Chinese put out about what they actually did created eleven strains. So hmm. I just think we need just total transparency. We yeah. need to push out everything, trace everything back to patient zero, all the way through. We just need so much more information published. Uh, we do, and, and we need people, to, uh, we need mass, you know, back in the day they had mass movements to ban uh, nuclear weapons and all that stuff. I hope something like that will come for yeah. bioweapons. Of course, it won't help, because as long as we have corrupt, non-transparent regimes, and I'm talking about the West okay. <laughs> mainly, okay. they will find ways to bury this kind of thing in the deepest state. But it doesn't matter, because giving them 
carte blanche is is not the way to go. So let them hide in their holes and let it be on the laws that it is illegal and punishable. And at least if, if it doesn't stop this kind of research, at least they have to be more careful, cover the bases. Maybe once in a while we can charge some bastard for this. It's it's the way to go, and I hope people wake up to this. Even if this wouldn't be a bioweapon, I hope it contributes to that awareness. Because what are we going to do? Wait until a real bioweapon comes out? <laughs> Maybe even worse than this one? And e- even if it's not a bioweapon, we know how stuff mutates and becomes... It's like a battle, right, between our immunity and the critters. And sooner or later, we may lose that battle. So we have nothing to lose, nothing to lose whatsoever to just come together and make sure this becomes banned internationally. Well said. Well said. Yeah. Okay, let's now delve deeper into your research. It's amazing stuff. Uh, You said follow the money, yeah? Follow the names, follow all this uh, crap so it's so much information i don't know where you want to begin with this well i mean just picking up where you left off which you talked about mass demonstrations or you talked about you know people burning 5g towers and so forth yep. um people are 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 putting this into in their heads a cold war uh metaphor it's got to be the Russians versus the U.S., or it's got to be the Chinese versus the U.S. Mm. Uh, and so there's an adversarial relationship between the powers. But, but in actual fact, the technology sharing that we see, and go, see going on with the contracts, uh, again, the students from Wuhan going to Nebraska, the Nebraska students going back to Wuhan, uh, North Carolina students going out to the caves with the Chinese, coming back to the wet lab. The cooperation shows that in actual fact, they share more than they're different, Russia and China and the United States, in controlling their populations. All have populations which have demonstrated uh, on occasion um, that you want to control, control the population. Uh, You you know from in Europe, uh, the Green Movement or the Julian Assange uh, type movement Mm. or or Brexit or all these French uh, yellow Yellow vests and so forth. Yes. Yeah. There's these mass protests uh, when something, uh, you know, Europeans are much more likely to take through the streets than Americans. Um, But if you had uh, an ability to spray – a crowd uh, in a um, mm. odorless, colorless way, uh, and then they gradually degrade. It's hard to connect the dots between you know going to the Green Party demonstration mm. and 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 long term effect. So I, I I believe this is definitely a um, if if you look at the bioweapon and the design of it, it seems to be one of those that will go a reach. It has a long reach. Uh, and very small incremental deleterious effects. And and the lethal strain that we're seeing seems to be to create the panic. So there's not as many deaths. We're going to probably have less deaths from this than the common cold last year. Hmm. But the psychological nature of it, bringing all the bodies to New York and processing them and filming them and yeah. showing the mass graves on Hard Island, it, it it's definitely taking down our our whole economy, the biggest economy in the world, and the world economy. So it's it's uh, something again that we need 
uh, to expose the contracts and the the joint ventures to show that this could be these governments saying, hey, let's all collaborate on a population control weapon. And I think there's a good, uh, when you throw the drones in that can do this kind of spraying hmm. for agricultural spraying that's already been developed, it's just, it's almost a natural. It comes right out of that. And when we shelter in place, we're just basically sitting ducks. I mean, we're not only prisoners in our homes, but we're kind of sitting ducks. <laughs> It's true. You know, this isn't this hypothesis is a very good argument for going to the motivation. Now, there are so many naive people. They, oh, they would never do anything like those are the same people who buy into the left right false dichotomy. Yeah. That used to be true, but don't realize that today it's the 0.1% against the rest. And so it's the same at the top level. I've been arguing for the longest time that establishment Republicans and establishment Democrats in American politics, they are on the same team. And their main goal is not to beat each other. It's fine. Yeah, if they can get their people in, sure. But they are both serving the same uh, corporate donors. And their main goal is to keep any populism within their own parties from ascending. And then the secondary goal is to get their own establishment guys to win this dog and pony show you call uh, American elections. And so (laughs) So, it's kind of the same on a macro level, I think. Okay. And to your point about crowd control, yeah, um, I mean, they've been cooperating uh about this i mean look at look at how they you said assange look at how everybody coalesces to crush real threats to their to their system then it's no no longer left right or or east west or whatever everybody agrees and you you find you find it in surveillance you find it all over the place yeah, the, the Assange thing is the most uh, biggest turnaround where you had huge crowds coming out uh, for when uh, Julian Assange was making the uh, things, uh, different releases, um, you know, protesting in all countries all over the world. But now he's all by himself. He, yeah. No one will defend him, which is very sad. Um, but uh, that's another probably another topic for another day. But yeah, yeah. But, but I do think this. This, this coronavirus, um, the way to beat this is to get as much information out as possible and analyze these genomes. And I've done a lot of the genome research um, and collected a lot of papers, and it has three, at least three different distinct signatures. It's not doesn't have the signature of one virus. It has the, at least the signature of three different things going on, which is definitely uh, the, the makings of a bio weapon type of strategy and i think what are these three well hiv um it it's is in there uh for sure um the coronavirus itself uh being amplified which is through this crispering making a relatively safe or not safe but a non-lethal and then crispering it up to adding more of the same uh but just worse you know more more of the coronavirus in the virus in the lethal strain that's the second one. And then the third one looks like it, it attacks your body's ability to fix its fix bad proteins. So when your when your uh, genes get red, they cre- they create these amino acids and these amino acids are like little magnets that somehow magically fold and form to what they should look like, like let's say hemoglobin to carry your blood. 
Mm. And if if you uh, mess with that, um, like prions for mad cow disease or any kind of, if you mess with the chemistry of that folding improperly, you're going to put a bad hemoglobin out in your bloodstream. Uh, well, your body has this ability to check the folding right before it, it leaves the assembly line. It's sort of like final inspection off the assembly line. And it can say, no, you're a reject. We're going to send you back and we're going to reuse your parts. And then we're going to make sure that we, we do this uh, good folding. And that's where this furin comes in, this F-U-R-I-N. Uh, if you mess that up, if you mess up the final inspection station, you could be putting out a whole bunch of bad hemoglobin that doesn't do a very good job of carrying blood. Mm. But if you looked at it under a hematologist, looked at it under a microscope, you'd need a, that level of expert to tell the difference between a healthy hemoglobin and a slightly modified hemoglobin that just was not functional. Uh, one of the first tests that people are supposed to get for coronavirus is called this ferritin test. And it basically counts the number of red blood cells uh, and sees if you have good homeostasis in your blood cells. So there's something that's modulating ferritin in this thing. There's something that's modulating furin. This pathway that I'm talking about, which is this final inspection station pathway, it's called uh, ATF6. There's a, I have a scientific paper from China that says ATF6 is modified. Now, that's a bad deal because we have that pathway in all of our cells for everything we make, uh, not just red blood cells. Um, so, if, hmm. you know, that's the, the reason why you, you talked about the weaponization by aerosolizing AIDS. Yeah. Uh, those are just the first, those are the canaries, literally the canary in the mind shaft because they're in your lungs and the first thing we see. But the longer-term effects, other cells could be attacked as well. We just don't see it as quickly. We cough, you know, and that's obviously it. Yeah, the, the doctor I had on, he said we know for sure now that it has extra respiratory effects like uh, going to your gut and leading yeah. to diarrhea, meaning it really journeys on, uh, not just in the, in the breathing system, but beyond that. Yeah, in, and especially when, like, liquids, like if, if it... Uh, uh, you need B12, vitamin B12, uh, to use your gut to create oxygen, right, and store oxygen. Mm. And uh, this is called pernicious anemia, right? If if you're blocking B12, and I see some of this where it looks like it, the coronavirus may be carrying something to block B12, it's it's pernicious anemia. And again, if you're designing a weapon, you want pernicious anemia into very hard to see, very pernicious in its method, but it's causing anemia, causing you to you know, uh, the soldiers to call in sick, not want to go on their mission, whatever. Mm. It definitely has that quality. And, and again, it's so simple because you go right for what you know is the Achilles heel of the process, which is B12. Um, if you block B12, you block the whole uh, creation of the, uh, and I won't go into the chemistry, but that, that's, that seems like what's going on here. So, I don't. I think we're just scratching the surface on this. Is 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 the bottom line, and yeah. and the way I see fighting this is is don't, you know, we can't take it to the streets anyway. But, <laughs> but, but, but going to the source and, and finding these people on YouTube that are trying to get the information out. Cliff uh, High and I disagree that it's uh, 
he says it's China. I say it's China, but I say it's U.S. too. It's a mm. joint venture. Mm. And he and I've met other guys. Paul Cottrell. I've talked to him. He thinks it was China at first, but now he thinks like I do. And once mm. once I showed him the evidence, so so we're all out there trying. But it's it's important that we take in this information and and keep retweeting it, keep promoting it, yeah. because that's how we're going to get to the answers. We'll get more into details about your research of how you trace it to America soon enough. But I want to say, before we leave this topic, is that there's two things I want to say. Actually, I want to ask you about. First, okay. it's very spooky that people are uh, who have, be, have had it get it again. Now, either they have been reinfected or it's just dormant and it comes back. Yeah. And in either case, it indicates that we may not develop antibodies against this. And if that's true, then we can forget about the vaccine and we can forget about herd immunity. I guess, I guess all we've got left then is the immune system, which is, of course, bad news for many people who already have a weakened immune system so that's that's one thing you can comment the other okay well actually we can we can start there any comment to this sure it, let's say it is four or three let's just say it's three viruses combined mm-hmm. in a cocktail um, your body will raise uh, antibodies to one uh, like let's say a coronavirus uh, when when it gets a vaccine let's say or it's it develops a natural adaptive antibodies to it but the way and cliff talks about this in his lectures is the way the that our system works is we have these kind of muncher pac-men called macrophages that go out and when it sees something new that it hasn't seen before it goes out and yeah. goes muncha 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 right and then it takes the antigen and, and presents it on the cell so that your body can figure it out. It's sort of like they're saying, hey, this is what it looks like. And if you think of like little kids' blocks, you have a triangle block or you have a circular block or a square, your body's trying to make the antibody that fits the circle the, the right peg for the right hole, if you will. Uh, and that's how antibodies work. Well, the problem is if you just make antibodies for the circular peg it can come back and you're still uh, vulnerable for the other two antigens your body is used to seeing one virus at a time not a cocktail Mm. so the only real solution would be something like uh, diversified bio has which is they're taking hundreds of antibodies thousands of antibodies that have been either gotten through prisoners or soldiers or some kind of uh, private testing and they're putting them all into a super um, vaccine, like you were talking about. Mm. Um, and this company, the guy who's the star of the of the thing pandemic, uh, Glanville, that's his company, Bio, uh, Diversified Bio. And anytime I see a narrative like pandemic, where you know it started in the fish market and then you know the the bat got eaten by the pig and then got served up, and then I see these things, uh, which is and now we're going to introduce you to the hero of the story, I immediately start being suspicious. <laughs> I said, oh, my God, that's what they want us to do. They'll be the only one with this super genome. Uh, the, the sup- it's, it's their product. It's, it's their superhuman. They call it superhuman. Hmm. Um, and it does, it does go right back to the Nazis uh, thinking that they would create a superhuman soldier by having a three or four, 
like a serum that would they could spread a whole bunch of different pathogens, and then only these superhuman soldiers who had been inoculated in all of them would live. Um, and it's I know it sounds crazy and conspiratorial, but but that's the product. You can look it up. Diversified Bio, and then and Glanville is the is the hero of this pandemic on netflix it's just the craziest thing i mean it and, and there is a direct transmission of the philosophy and attitude and values of those crazy nazi scientists the proverbial archetypal mad uh, scientist to the american labs right yeah, dir- yeah. directly mm. yeah i mean we we brought blom in here and uh, we have this guy named bissell um a lot of these people that are putting the satellites uh he was involved in the U2 spy project and the Corona satellite system. Uh, and then his protege, a guy named Roger Krona, if you can believe it or not, <laughs> K-R-O-N-E. Uh, he's the guy uh, down in Canaveral with the, uh, doing the booster rockets for, for Boeing and to put these satellites up. So I mean, it's just the craziest thing. Uh, and he speaks perfect German, which doesn't help. <laughs> you know, <just> synchronicity <laughs> of the synchronicity. Yeah, yeah. Life imitating art. Huh? <laughs> yeah. And, and he's got a guy, uh, not to go too far with the spy stories, but he's got a guy. Uh, I don't know if you remember Paul Wellen, uh, the American who gets arrested uh, when he's outside getting thumb drives outside the Kremlin. Mm. I don't know, since mm. story a while back. Mm. He's, flying, he's flying the Borg Warner jet. Uh, of Roger Crone uh, back and forth. And it's just this crazy thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's just crazy. Yeah. Uh, the second thing I want to ask you about, because, again, a rational analysis, let's just, uh, for the sake of hypothesis, say that, yes, it is a bioweapon, and the governments are aware, either by finding out themselves or being briefed at top level, which I think is what's been going on because of the lockdown now yeah mm-hmm. in that case be- because it's crazy i mean if there was a natural catastrophe let's say a meteor hit earth and like millions died uh, obviously everybody would want to you know it would be kind of the same thing they would share info share news everybody would be on the same team here the panic right oh we have to survive this is and yet one would expect that to be the natural reaction and it was in the beginning and then comes the censorship bam 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 oh, right, not right. just demonetizing uh, free info independent info that covers this but even removing videos after videos after videos all over the place especially places like YouTube you know the big platforms Facebook now normal people have to ask themselves why would they do this if it's so innocent and natural right because if it was a bioweapon and they knew then they would have incentives to do that because they don't want they don't want this awareness to spread it can bite them in the ass and then i i ask you we have studies who more or less proves this thing just by the very nature of what they find but studies are no freebie area that are detached from the rest of society the, they can also be controlled and censored so i'm asking you is there any uh, do we know that uh, we because we need more time to find out more do we have mechanisms for studies into this to be published so we can know what else they find out as time goes or is there a risk for all this stuff being censored 
Well, uh, you're very right about this. I've had I've been demonetized on YouTube, and I've also had many uh, videos about coronavirus already deleted. Um, and you know, they threaten your channel as well. Um, but um, the the study. Damn, I, I get I've been infected by the web virus on YouTube. <laughs> for talking with you (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 the web virus is everywhere let me tell you um but but the other one that's disturbing is is the scientific papers like you said because this university of new delhi um came out with this thing and said uncanny excuse me sorry about that we have an animal here yep let's Uh, wait to calm down sorry I'll, I'll, i'll go outside yep um we have the i'm sorry i'm on a river here but uh there is a um there's a study from the university of new delhi and uh, they said there's an uncanny similarity between HIV, uh, these HIV parts of the genome. There's an uncanny. Hang, hang on, George. It's better you go back in because okay. your your voice right. gets weaker and the wind disturbs. Oh, okay, just a second. Better with uh, some cozy barking in the background. Oh, we're good. We're good now. Uh, yeah. Okay, so I, I will just say this. Um, so YouTube's uh, deplatforming just a you know normal investigative reporter, but when you start covering up the scientific papers that are actually trying to uh, delineate that there are these uh, HIV proteins in these genes that code for HIV proteins that came out of nowhere uh, into this genome of the coronavirus, and um, they. Uh, it, the title was Uncanny Similarity. It was called Uncanny Similarity in the mm. Genes. And, that and, and this was out of New Delhi. Out of New Delhi, and it mm. was withdrawn. They made them withdraw the paper. Jeez. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, 10 or 12. It wasn't like one person or, or out of some mm. uh, small lab that wasn't well known. It was 10 or 12 esteemed, you know, PhDs, an, an international team as well. Uh, so it wasn't somebody grinding an axe. It was somebody saying, hey, this is amazing that how did this all these genes come in from the HIV uh, out of this pristine coronavirus that's never had this thing happen in 58 years? So I, I think when, when you see that kind of uh, scientific suppression, that really is disturbing because th- these people are trying to provide scientific peer-reviewed information it hadn't the study i don't think had been peer-reviewed yet but they wanted to keep it from being uh uh, recreated in other universities and and republished and Mm. and corroborated and that's that's really scary because that's kind of goes back to this nazi thing as well but enough enough uh, copies of it uh, got out before it got deleted yes yes Mm. but there's a big stamp on it now that says withdrawn um because they didn't want to lose their jobs. They didn't want to lose their tenure. No, of course. So. Very easy to control yep. scientists. Yep. So we can expect then that they will keep this lid on in the future because these people are trying to come up with information that will help us. And and this is the attitude, people. I know most of you who listen know this already, but there will be accidental mainstream junkies tuning into this. And what you need to understand, people... Forget about conspiracy, whatever. Forget about, uh, you know, the blame game. Just think rationally about this. It's in your interest that as much information as possible is allowed to come out because too much information is not as dangerous as 
too little information. Yeah, exactly. And don't worry because they're so worried about, oh, yeah, but there will be fake news, false information. Look, we have filters to get rid of that. It's no problem. There, there won't be mass hysteria for a conspiracy theory. That hasn't happened yet. So if you think there's some fake conspiracy theory floating around, fine. No problem. We can afford that. What we can't afford is censorship of either studies or the reporting yeah. like we're seeing going on now. Because that's what will kill you and us. Yeah. And and this is uh, – their paper was certainly not a conspiracy theory. They They were saying here's the genome that was published by the government of China – uh, and here's the proteins it codes for, and these never were found before in the previous genomes. I mean, they use the BLAST tool, which is the comparison tool, and basically search for the sequences of this in the previous six uh, genomes and didn't find it, and so it's not there. So this, I, now what you make of it, what conclusions you draw, and mm. say, well, that could be uh, a pig with HIV got bitten by a bat with with coronavirus, and that's how the two. <laughs> two got together mm. uh, or you can say it was a scientist with a needle trying to come up with a bioweapon mm-hmm. saying hey if we combine the bat corona with the pig hiv we'll have uh, something that will really you know throw your immune system for a loop mm. um, i'm not trying to make a conclusion here i'm just saying that one's a lot more likely than the other and i have uh, have purchase orders from the university of north carolina and dr fauci under the guise of dr fauci for the students to go back and forth to Wuhan. So mm-hmm. you have to make your own conclusion, but people need to know that this collaboration was occurring. And it's been not occurring for a few years, but a long time. Yeah. Um, and and then, then the other one that's interesting is they're taking, uh, trying to put, put down uh, things that work like hydroxychloroquine. And, yeah, and, yeah. Let, let's get back to that. We need to take a break. Okay. Uh, so I want you to get more into that uh, in part two. But last question before the break. Are, are there any independent outlets of research that we can look to if they start a crackdown on any research that will be flagged because it goes too close to the political sensitive areas? Do you know? Well, I... Uh, uh, yeah, uh, there's a big community in uh, in research called systems biology, and uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Shiva yeah. uh, here in, in America. People tell me to get him on the show. Yeah, you should have him because uh, he has a way of using mathematical modeling, which is sort of a shorthand, the same way you don't have to bridge build a whole bridge to use mathematical equations to, you know, uh, to test a model. Um, is the same thing he does for the for systems biology for for the cell and also for immunology uh so you can have people who are mathematicians now be a part of the solution rather than just you know biologists Mm -hmm. and 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 that that's his thing that's his he has a product called cytosol that does that Mm, okay promising because we need As many independent labs as possible in this in this story in order to be sure that we get all the information that they find out. So so that's promising. I, although I've heard Shiva is kind of saying it's no big deal. So um, 
You, well, there's there's uh, two schools here. One is uh, he has a three-layer architecture. So the first layer is doing a block diagram of what is the problem, so problem definition. So whether or not you have the same conclusion when you get to the third stage, it, just by graphically showing what pathways are involved, what proteins, what genes, um, and, and getting agreement at the problem definition level, just mm. that mm. is being suppressed. So mm. even if he had a different conclusion, uh, for instance, he's a lot on vitamins A through D, A through E vitamins, big on vitamin C. Mm. I agree with all those things. Uh, but then I do think there are some other perturbations of the of the system that he's not not completely aware of, and so that's where mm. we could have a discussion. I see. So. I see. Okay, makes sense. Okay, let's take a quick break then, George. Okay. And when we come back in part two, we're going to delve even yep. deeper into this. Okay. Per- perfect timing. <laughs> Dogs <Perfect> agree. Timing. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. 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 All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. Thanks. 